This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The game was thrown away in the first half with uh, as poor a performance as it was against Watford in the first game of the season. Not very often I can say my team gets dominated physically, but they dominated us physically in the first half of the game today and uh, not acceptable. Players were told that. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me to discuss... Aston Villa being swatted away at uh, the Emirates. Uh, Mr. Phil Shaw and Mr. Chris Budd. Welcome, gentlemen. This is a rare show where we do it in daylight. Yeah. Hello. It's, it's not what we do in the shadows anymore. It's what we do in the daylight. <laughs> <laughs> We've been exposed. Uh, when I say we, I mean Aston Villa. The only worrying thing is uh, the last time we gave away a two-goal lead really cheaply, it seemed to... Uh, derail the whole season so uh, I hope the Arsenal uh, evidence uh, isn't the first uh, happening after the uh, the Wolves uh, debacle if you remember I, I'm referring to uh, a certain Leicester game where Grealish Grealish was that his first goal yeah, Carlos Gil scored a worldie as well, didn't he, that day? Yeah, Carlos Gil. Never be seen uh, again. Anyway, yeah, he's resurfaced. He's been reincarnated as Buendia. <laughs> 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 but yeah, we were we were thinking happy days. Here we go. This old Carlos Gil has scored. Grealish is on the mark. Uh, we're, you know, this is going to be a good season to us. Leicester were thinking, oh, we're fucked again this season. Another relegation battle. That game was pivotal. They won the league. We got relegated. Talk about sliding doors. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll get into the game later on. I mean, first of all, we will uh, get through uh, the latest Villa news, which is quite a eclectic selection before tackling the, the three points medium Muppets and then getting into uh, what went down in the Emirates. Uh, how are you guys anyway before we uh, tuck into it? Not bad, not bad. Busy back on the road, but it's good. Anything? Where, where were you? Were you in the Brum yesterday? I was over towards Wolverhampton last night. Uh, which is alright it was okay back in Brum next weekend though Halloween weekend and all that so it's going to be a busy one but just likes to go trick and treat <laughs> that's that's why it's going to be a busy one <laughs> Phil Shaw uh, what's going on in your life not that we care no just <laughs> <laughs> we you're do just, really that's why you're, we you're ask just, you're just jealous of my spend local 
credit card that arrived um yeah <laughs> i really am <laughs> yeah I'm fighting my way through the traffic of everybody in the country suddenly being given a hundred pound and a, like a time limit to use it so everybody just run into the shops what is your time limit it's like three weeks oh is this to kick start the economy so yeah, it's the- one of these prepaid uh like mastercard type things yeah that's it you're not allowed to use it online you have to actually go into a shop and use it so which is what everybody's doing at the minute can you spend it on booze? Is it a way of just spreading COVID? Is that what they're yeah, trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is a way to solve the, the what the Brexit problem is. Just like just wipe us out. Just get them to go out and spend a hundred <laughs> quid. That's it. Investment. But, but there'd be nobody to pick fruits in the fields. Is that is, <laughs> potatoes? Come on, get it right. Yeah, I, know, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to get done for uh, casual racism. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but no, that, that's, that alludes to a headline. Uh, what, what are they paying uh, per hour? Is it thirty pounds? It's up, up to thirty. You can earn up to thirty pound an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Farmer said we, no, nobody in the UK wants to do that job, and obviously uh, because the EU has been shut out now, uh, there's no uh, Brexit's working marvelously at the moment. So right, uh, let's get some news uh, in the bag. Uh, do you want to speak about uh, city regions to get six point nine billion for public transport, or the latest Villa news? <sighs> Reluctantly, the Villa news. Oh, well, we could go on about uh, local transport regeneration of the north and the. Midlands, but uh, connectivity and all that, unlike Villa's midfield. Yeah. <laughs> Villa News, it is. First, uh, cab off the rank. There's, there's a few things. I mean, I mentioned these in the uh, Patreon only uh, podcast off the record. The first thing being uh, people may have seen uh, mutterings on social media about uh, shenanigans going down in uh, Aston Park, which uh, to the uninitiated, it's uh, the park where Aston Hall is uh, behind the Trinity Road stand. There's been reports, and these reports have gone to the place of people firing uh, rockets at Villa fans fireworks basically and then being seen with knives I've spoken to uh, the West Midlands Police about this and it turns out that uh, this has happened the last couple of games at Villa Park and uh, it all stems from an incident uh, I think pre-match where earlier on in the season where a Villa fan uh, I think just got into some kind of uh, kerfuffle with some local youths and uh, decked one of them. So it looks like it's a bit of a revenge and it's like a youth gang type of revenge. And I don't know if it's on, they're looking for this uh, particular Villa fan and his mates or it's just against Villa fans per se. But there's actually been sightings of machetes and knives. So uh, this is something the police are taking seriously and looking into uh, for the West Ham game. And, uh, you know, they've detailed some strategy, which I'm not going to say on air but uh just uh, if you walk that way to the ground uh do stay vigilant meanwhile wit and arms uh i didn't actually know this uh, i don't know if uh, if it's public knowledge uh, or widespread uh wit and arms has been closed as you may have noticed or definitely away fans would have noticed uh, last i think from like everton onwards and uh the reason why is because uh, the owner at the time uh after the Brentford game, did a runner with the take-ins d- disappeared <laughs> off, disappeared off into the uh, the sunset, 
and uh, <laughs> left behind, uh, according to the, the police, uh, a marijuana factory. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right away, is, day, isn't it? So this is what's been going down, yeah, for the away fans. That's, no wonder the atmosphere's been a bit mellow recently. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's why Will stayed. That's why the Everton fans were so gutted uh, that it was closed when they uh, when they rocked up before that game. So yes, there's been a bit of a saga there uh, at the Witten Arms. Uh, other news seems that uh, as some fans may have seen, but you know we we, we didn't see any of the spot checks uh, for uh, vaccinations and uh, also negative tests. I mean, as uh, anybody who's checked the local the government map on COVID cases, I mean it's it's just gone off the off the hook again uh, on the the colour scale of white, meaning no uh, or very little uh, cases in in your area to uh, I think it goes yellow green blue and then purple if you look at the uh, the map now that sh- you know shows you the uh, the amount of cases across the country it's everywhere is just purple now it's uh, it's just widespread so this is why they're bringing in these spot checks to get people ready for if uh, and it seems likely in my opinion that uh, they would start to uh, have more uh, checks on match days which uh, is is completely fair enough but anyway one one idea to uh, speed up the flow is once you know season tickets holders could potentially uh, email in their uh, vaccination records or once they've shown them uh, receive some kind of sticker to stick on their uh, season card so then uh, for example if you've got 20,000 double vaxxed uh, season ticket holders then that's and they've all got a sticker on their card, that's going to speed up the process, isn't it, if they just have to flash their uh, season yeah. card at, rather than yeah. going through your app and all that kind of stuff. Seems like a kind of a logical yeah. way so to that's, do it. So that's one potential thing on the horizon uh, there. Meanwhile, there's been another, I think it was uh, Greg Evans, that uh, in his article announced that the season ticket waiting list is now 20,500, 20, which seemed a bit odd to me based on previous announce- announcements, considering that Dean Smith the week before had declared it was 18,000. The first fan consultation group meeting, I think in the summer, it was 13,000. And then I think Smith in a, the next day said it was 15,000. So there's a massive discrepancy. I mean, I, I double-checked with a club, and they did say that's the figure they gave them, uh, although uh, that does include people who have, have had two chances to get a season ticket, and they've said no on both uh, accounts. So it's the third time they'll get asked. If they don't take it, then they're out. So in terms of actual reality of uh, people who are really actively after season ticket holders, it's going to be a lot less than uh, 20,000, that's for sure. And also, I'm quite interested to know how they're collating this. Surely 20,000 people have not uh, requested to be on that list. I mean, is it is it if they mention they're interested in a phone call, do they get logged? You know, if they uh, click something on the website, do they get logged? Or is this directly people subscribing to that list? Has it come through the socios app? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's, I mean, after, I mean, it seems to be going up uh, by thousands. Every uh, time we lose, it seems to double. We, yeah, every, every time we lose, uh, I mean, it hasn't been the, the greatest of starts. So to get a jump of an extra 7,000, I mean, probably after the Arsenal game, it's probably gone up to uh, 40,000. Uh, At least. If I was doing the press conference, I'd, I'd be the first question before the West Ham game. I said, Dean, what's the uh, waiting list like now? Uh, season ticket waiting <laughs> list now. <laughs> Oh, it's uh, 45,000 at the moment. Meanwhile, on the pitch, on the 23s, lost uh, 3-2 to Sunderland at home after being in the lead. Villa DNA in full effect. Uh, we were talking about uh, a few podcasts ago about the ethos of, you know, the youth team should be playing exactly the same way as the uh, the first team does, and it seems to be in full effect. 
And anybody, uh, if you haven't uh, seen the news uh, over the last week of the new fixture changes, which were a bit delayed, and I know the Football Supporters Association weren't too happy uh, that the Premier League had kind of reneged on the promise of uh, the notice they would give fans. The, the highlight really is the Manchester City game if you don't know, has been uh, finally announced. Uh, the home game, December the 1st on the Wednesday, which will be on uh, Amazon Prime at 8.15. And that adds to the December fixture list, and we have seven games now in that month. Right, let's move on. It's time for Media Muppets. <laughs> So, Phil, what's in the Media Muppet trough this week? Well, after a few weeks of trying to stay away from the Birmingham Mail, um, unfortunately, I've, I've had to go back to it because it's just a factory that keeps on delivering the goods. So I've actually given them a, <laughs> I've given them a top three this week. So we've three <laughs> belters coming in. So the, we'll just run through them quick. The first one, Jack Grealish responds after Steve Bruce is sacked by Newcastle was the headline. Yeah, I, I, saw, yeah, I saw that headline. I just ignored it. I, I, I knew it involved an emoji. Was it an emoji? Of course it was an emoji. Clap and hand emoji to Alan St. Maximin's post about saying how good a man Steve Bruce was. Although in Match Club, Dale come up with a much better headline. He says, Steve Bruce gets the clap from an unlikely source. (laughs) (laughs) Coming in at number two, Aston Villa should be banging on Manchester United's door after Gary Neville's comments. Well, the comment was about uh, Donny van der Beek. All Gary Neville said was, um, I think he needs to go and play football somewhere else. Doesn't narrow it down to Villa. And the last time I looked, Gary Neville wasn't on the wage bill at United that could make these sporting decisions. So we'll just ignore that. That is maximum tenuousness, isn't it? It is. But then my personal favourite one was this headline. Former Aston Villa target tipped to finally replace Steve Bruce after Newcastle United sacking. Like I was thinking, target Birmingham Mail. They can't have went for Milo Rashiga. He's still playing. He can't just jump into managing. <laughs> but but no, it was um, apparently it was Paulo Fonseca. The line was um, Fonseca has always wanted to coach in England, and there were suggestions that he was in Villa's lists of targets to replace Bruce when he was sacked in 2018. And they've even linked back to their old article. So okay, now they are literally trying to get you to click just by mentioning Aston Villa in in the headline. Anyway, they could ship it in there. Yeah, so they've made new clickbait out of their old three-year-old clickbait. I mean, that's that's top tier. That's that's they've really excelled themselves this week with those three. I mean, this is it's kind of scandalous, isn't it? I mean, the the whole idea of uh, I think somebody related it to advertising standards. Uh, I think that you know some of this shit should be illegal because it's really taken the piss out of people. I mean, you know, you understand how it works, but to me, it's just on one hand they're all trying to be pally pally on social media, while on the other hand they're just abusing. Support and just taking them for a ride and that's what pisses me off oh but we've all got bills to pay it's just unethical if you ask me it's that two-facedness i don't like about it right moving on to three points the three faces of the uh, the week premier league aren't happy about this newcastle uh, situation uh, as as we know and they've actually voted to temporary block uh, newcastle owners from making lucrative sponsorship deals uh, and that's basically working the books isn't it ala manchester city uh, you basically sponsor yourself yeah sponsor yourself for a massive fee to balance the books to help you uh, work on that financial fair play to free up the money uh, in the books at least to splash the cash so in terms of the vote i think 18 clubs voted for this uh, temporary block including Aston Villa Newcastle obviously voted against it and Manchester City abstained I thought that was quite 
I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> They're like, hey, oh shit. Yeah, we dodged that bullet, didn't we? So uh, we'll see how that one rolls out. But uh, I mean, the Premier the fit and proper test is a f- joke where the Premier League. They had two uh, issues. One was you're not allowed to be owned by a state directly. The other one was they weren't happy about the old uh, pirating of uh, Premier League uh, streams. And uh, the Saudis said, "Oh yeah, we'll sort it out the piracy issue." And they were like, "Oh, uh, oh, we've got, they've given us documents to show that they're not connected to uh, you know the Saudi state. It's the fucking Saudi public fund, isn't it? It's the, it's the Crown Prince's fund. <laughs> it's a big joke." Unfortunately, the Premier League doesn't really have a, a leg to stand on morally, and the top six who are really trying to push push obviously the, the Newcastle thing out the door is kind of like well they don't have a leg to stand on either with the whole Super League stance. So it's kind of like the whole thing's just morally bankrupt. This is just as we said in the previous pod, this is like Man City on steroids. Yeah, the, the whole thing's going to implode football. I mean, we've said that from day dot on this bloody podcast. We're just watching it burn, aren't we? That's all we're doing nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Point number two, uh, FIFA is planning to crack down on agents being allowed to represent both the player and a club in deals in a move that will see intermediaries lose out on tens of millions of pounds. <coughs> Wolves. <coughs> Mendes. It's, it, they're basically, they're proposing um, a deal to obviously, you know, to ban dual representation on a on any deal where a, the player earns over 200000 a year, which essentially would fuck every Premier League team, you would think, yeah. oh, like maybe youth team players. Um, obviously, the only leading agents in Europe are up in arms about this one, and they're planning to sort of take the nuclear option legally. I think it's just from the pressure of, like, the government, there's, you know, the Tracy Crouch government uh, fan-led review of football, so uh, there's certain parties are trying to get their uh, ducks in order to not, you know, look so bad. Yeah, but basically, it's part of uh, some of the sort of the research that had come out where f- four out of five of around 800 intermediary transactions saw the agent representing the club, the player, and, and others sometimes. You know, the, probably the best example that was used was the Paul Pogba deal where. Is this a big tax avoidance? Is this. Uh... Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of that. That'll come later. Uh, like, you know, Pogba was obviously represented by Mino Royola, who represented Man United, Pogba, and Juventus. So he had he had an end on all of the deal. And as yeah. you said about the money going out in the football, last season Premier League clubs paid 272 million out. So that's 272 million that is not going into the, the pyramid, as they call it, and trickling um, down to the lower. No leagues. trickle down. It's just going to agents. And they, and they can do obviously what they want with that money. There is no reinvestment. That's two hundred seventy-two million that, that grassroots doesn't see, etc. So they want it capped to cap commissions at ten percent of a transfer fee. Some of that, as as you previously said, is driven by HMRC guidelines, where there's there's kind of like this fifty-fifty reciprocal thing where the tax gets split between the club and the player, and that will no doubt end up changing as well. So it's basically like not allowing the agents to have no liability in any of these deals. Basically, yeah. Final point, point number three. Uh... This could have been the score at the Emirates. Uh, Peterborough Rangers won 40 nil in the 16th tier of English football. That really is a cricket score, isn't it? Why is that significant, Phil Shaw? The reason that I picked this out as being significant was because the top scorer on the team was the the player manager of Peterborough Rangers, Dwayne Rankin, <laughs> scored 13 goals. So, uh, and... Worse than that, the poor opposition team, Sodri, they only had eight players. So I'm thinking, here's the Peter Berenger's player manager, Dwayne Rankin. You know, he's, he's talking about flat track bully. He's just like, he's first of all, he's leaving himself on the pitch to score those 13 goals instead of bringing on like a youth player or something like that, or even lending the other team a couple of players to make it an even game. 
And then he's given interviews afterwards. And the interview he gave to BBC Radio Cambridge was, it does seem a bit harsh, but that's football. You've got to score as many as you can score. That's the aim of the game. Not talking about Miller mentality. That's that's, yeah, that's like, next level. I, I like his mentality. Never never mind a set piece coach at Villa. We need a, a winning coach, a coach that teaches you how to win. Frankly, a coach who can score thirteen goals in a game <laughs> would be good. <laughs> Bring him on. Before we go on with the show, I just want to say a thank you to Penfold for uh, supporting this episode. Penfold is a flexible pension that's easy to set up and effortless to use. If you are uh, self-employed or haven't got a pension, then it's definitely worth uh, checking into. The full flexibility allows you to change the amount you put in. If you want to do it monthly, you can put it on ice. Also, you get access to the government 25% bonus on everything you put in as well as uh, the interest that will compound from uh, whichever investment fund you select there's a choice of uh, six and i think level four uh, which is the higher risk is actually been one of the uh, top performing pension plans over the last five years it's very easy to do i actually uh, have one myself that's why i actually approached penfold to uh, sponsor the podcast as another entity to uh, help listeners with their finances Of course, uh, pensions, as with all investments, your capital is at risk and the value of what you put in may go up as well as down. But as a listener of the My Man Said podcast, you will get a £50 bonus if you go to getpenfold, P-E-N-F-O-L-D dot com slash moms, M-O-M-S. So uh, check it out. And as I said, uh, it literally just take five minutes to set up and you can run it from your mobile phone and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. All right then, let's get into uh, Aston Villa's latest trip to the Emirates. Villa were going there, trying to make it four league wins on the trot against Arsenal, which is not and something... Four clean uh, sheets as well. Not something uh, we're accustomed to be uh, saying. This would be uh, a rare occurrence but now uh, rather than uh, looking at these massive positives and having uh, a wonderful run like that we're now looking at uh, 
stats that like it's our third defeat on the trot and we're now looking at even at the doomsday scenario as we just said the last time we uh significantly lost a game after being two nil up we ended up relegated and uh i think right in the this, premier league anyway yeah in the premier league and uh this emirates game was uh let's have a clickbait vibe this was evidence of that uh, <laughs> as being a potential outcome to this season because i mean we 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 look back uh over the game before we recorded the show just to uh, we wanted to look in detail uh, in terms of the defensive calamities and uh, you couldn't really pick anybody out it was everybody yeah it was collectively shit oh it, it was uh, absolutely shambolic yeah where do you start do you go from the first minute where Ollie Watkins um, sort of lost his head and you know and on a different day a referee might have tried to make a name for himself and send him off in the first minute uh, or do you just go from like the next attack and Arsenal just piling forward at every opportunity I mean you just didn't know what was going on yeah well I mean the starting point was uh, I mean after the game Smith did say he warned the players that Arsenal would come out fast and furious now uh, they didn't look like they were prepared for that at all because we were harassed bullied this is by Arsenal by the way out thought they were just at, an, at a different level and uh before we get into the uh, the details of what happened, they were it was almost like they came out and uh, Arteta had said, right, let's win this game in the first 20 minutes, which, you know, there's been versions of Villa that used to come out fast and the first half was better than the second half and we've kind of reverted, uh, turned that on its head. But when we were getting to... Uh the, like the 40th minute mark I mean before that Arsenal seemed to have run out of a bit of steam and I was thinking oh this is like the I think I said in Match Club this is like the uh, Muhammad Ali George Foreman fight where uh, we're now rope doping them and they've burnt themselves out and luckily we're only 1-0 down so I was about to go into half time with a little bit of uh, optimism and uh, of course that penalty VAR incident happened and it was like how oh, we're fucked <laughs> yeah that was the last uh, flicker of hope uh, extinguished i mean before they scored it the writing was on the wall wasn't it yeah they just they saw our back three we're not going to say back five because i didn't see target and cash really anywhere in defense in, in our own half <laughs> yeah so they, they just knew our back three was was there to be got at because this is the thing i mean there was such a fuss made of villa beating united with the back three and then there was an inter- international break. Wolves and Arsenal have just went, all right, Villa are going to play that back three. We'll, we'll take a day in training to devote how to destroy it. And that's what both of them have managed to do in different sort of time periods and games. Because they know those fullbacks, they get caught. You know, you you watch it back and, you know, watching it through the game, they're just getting caught every time. And Arsenal have got, you know, they, they know how to counter-attack. It's in their DNA. But, you know, the first one where, where uh, they hit the post... After like Mings, he gets his head to the ball from the free kick, but he basically diverts it into danger, doesn't he? Then Party uh, hits the post, perhaps should have scored. That was the first warning sign. And then uh, the first one's from the corner, is it not? Yeah, it's a near post flick on where Mings and McGinn decide it's a good idea to duck under the ball. And the weird thing is, you've got Ings defending against two of their guys on the near post, and they were they were aiming it at the near post all the time. It's almost like they, they knew how Villa were going to uh, line up, and they thought, right, there's nobody on that near post of any stature, just get it there. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, why is Danny Ings the one that's going to meet that ball at the near post? I mean, 
when you have uh, a striker back in the box, I mean, you can understand it when it's like a Wesley, or you said last week you compared it like to Drogba. He was useful back in the box. Ings at the, the near post, he, or to meet the first ball into the near post, it's like a key position. I mean, it's, I don't think he's got that big a spring or anything else, not noticeably. So it's yeah, just... because if you're attacking, you always put you, you always have one of your uh, def- centre-backs running running the near post. I mean, if you remember that Courtney Horse goal, uh, six, you know, where he said, oh, he took over Mings' role, because that is the set position. So if that's what the attack's doing, if it's traditional to send a centre-back to run to the near post, why is like a short, short-ass attacker defending that? It makes no sense. And then, you know, you've got the Mings and McGinn. McGinn's the main culprit in terms of uh, ducking out of it. If uh, Martinez uh, gets a hand to it, for example, and, and makes a save, Lacazette's goal side of cash. Cash is like, don't know what the hell he's doing. Should be goal side of Lacazette. Cons is like a fart in the trance. Doesn't know what's happening. Not not impacting the play, marking anybody. Just in the dead zone again, like he was uh, against Wolves for their second. And you, you scratch your head because one of the benefits of playing uh, three at the back that we uh, highlighted uh, a few weeks ago was Villa across the board are a shortish team. So this gives you a. Uh, a way of getting in that extra height for set pieces to defend and attack them. And if you've, you've got three you three centre-backs in there, none of them's defending the near post. You've got Ings on there. You've got Konza, as I said, just in limbo. It's uh, it's a recipe for disaster. And it, and it literally is. If you watch it back pretty much, you know, this game, you, it's a horror show in terms of defending. I mean, you go in at half-time, as you said, you know, if you'd have gone in at 1-0 down, you've gone, we've probably dodged a bullet there. You go in deservedly 2-0 down. It could have been, well, could and should have been more. You know, Saka misses a chance. And we, we were obviously highlighting that one as one of the really bad examples of the two fullbacks getting caught where you see the play developing on the halfway line and you're like, well, the two fullbacks are nowhere to be seen here. But targets, targets tracking his man in Saka. You think, you've just got to keep going. Just follow your man. This begins halfway inside their half. Target's behind Saka, so he's got a chance to, uh, if he wants to, because, you know, Saka's just watching the play develop, so he's running, but he's not, like, sprinting full whack at this point. Target's just, like, watching the play and just casually running behind Saka. Makes no attempt to get on level terms with him. And by the time uh, the play's in deep into our half, he, there's no way he can catch him. And he's, and he's not even actually making a fucking attempt to. No, I, I don't know really what Target's doing, but not making an attempt to. It's almost as if he's expecting one of the centre backs to come across and bail him out. Maybe that was the what happens in the back four, but in the back five, it's just not happening at all. Yeah, and then on the other side, Konza fluffs his lines, and uh, it, in they go. And you know, Cash is nowhere to be seen on that side because those fullbacks are so far up. And you know, we highlighted this the last couple of weeks. Uh, it is a bit scary that this is not a five-three-two at all. It, it is real. In the strictest sense, a uh, three-five-two, because those fullbacks spend more time in the opposition half. Of which, unfortunately, I don't think at the moment, I don't think they're either good enough or the way we're playing. Teams aren't worried about their fullbacks getting pinned back. I remember like the last game of last season when Chelsea played a back three, but Chilwell and I, would, I can't remember who was he played. It might have been uh, Reese James, wouldn't it? Have been I'd have thought um, playing fullback, but they pinned us back, so we were playing. They were like a flat four that day, Villa. Yeah. Even if you go to Arsenal for the first half, say, do you know what? We are going to play a five, and we're just and these guys are going to go when they get a chance. But at least we're going to be solid. It's almost a little bit like we play wing backs, but we're gung ho, yeah, because it's so wide open in the middle as well. And you know, after that uh, second chance, uh, Partey had another. Uh, well, he had a free header off the corner, didn't he? Should have scored, and that was a near post one as well. That was just Ming switching off. The lazy media reaction to uh, trying to big up uh, 
a set piece coach and saying what a masterstroke getting him in and uh, that early hype's just turned to shit because uh, you know this is the frailty defending the simplest of things corners after being pretty successful last season I mean you could kick back and smoke a cigar watching us defend corners uh, most of the time uh, last season but now it's like Jesus Christ Arsenal could have been 5 nil up at half time and for yeah. probably two, for two thirds of last season, you'd have put your house on Villa to close matches out, or we had that battling ability. We've lost that this season. You know those those games last year I refer to, like you know we went to Leicester, backs to the wall, nick the win. Wolves away, backs to the wall, nick the win. Southampton, we did the same. Arsenal was a, a similar one at Villa Park. Various other games where you thought actually we we've got it in this. Like Leicester's pro- not Leicester, sorry, um, Leeds away. Prime example. Didn't play particularly well, but we had it in us to play badly, grind it out, nick a goal, and, and then you knew that actually. With our back four and keeper, we've got enough to hold most teams at arm's length. And we showed that throughout, even when we were playing pretty badly going forward in that crappy run from February, we still showed we could do it for periods. This season, we're what, in sort of mid-October, we've had three put past us three times already. Yeah, and this is what... I mean, 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 you'll just come back to this probably throughout the whole podcast. This This is against Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal yeah. aren't a set pace team. Could could you imagine if this is against a team that like focus completely on their set pieces? I mean, Wolves do, and you saw what they were able to do in ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's scary. Arsenal don't Arsenal don't lump the ball into the box. They just they just put a cross in. It was it just caused chaos. No, that was that was my takeaway from the whole game. We would have got thumped by Burnley if we played Burnley. Because, yeah, as you say, Arsenal, not known for their uh, set-piece corner onslaughts, and they were getting free headers at near posts every time. Imagine Burnley must be, like, kicking themselves so they haven't played Villa sooner than they will. It was almost like the perfect game for Arsenal. You know, the team had had a very difficult result against Palace. They knew they had to win that one. You think, well, who do we want to play right now? Well, Villa are a bit wafer-thin um, in terms of their playing style. They've got a new system, new person, etc. And you know, Villa weren't winning the first ball, weren't winning the second ball. I mean, my takeaway from the whole game, regardless of errors etc which you know these things happen but you've gone to Arsenal and you've got outfought by Arsenal that to me that's like that's going to blow my mind for weeks that you can go to a team like Arsenal who have been the epitome of spineless for the last four or five seasons and you've been out muscled I mean Arteta's turning the ship around I think because it's a, a young eager side and I think they've got momentum now so I don't think we should generalise on Arsenal per se because I think it's a, a bit of a different beast now he's demanding more of a, a fighting team but at the same time you know we should be meeting fire with fire but let's get to, to the specifics of the, the actual penalty uh, decision which was uh, one of those bizarre things because the game had carried on after the incident which we'll get to and there was the next break in play and that caused a bit of confusion because certain people thought he'd blown up for half time and so when it got to the penalty uh the perception was well the half's ended so uh if martinez saves that is that the first break in play so it should be uh the end of the game but you don't have an isolated penalty like that but he wasn't blowing up for the second half he was blowing up for the var decision wasn't he yeah, it was, he, he made hand signals. He made hand signals. It was it was one whistle. He made it very clear, and he pointed over to the screen that that's where he was heading straight away. So at, you could see it on the the TV broadcast that that was exactly what was happening. And you sort of had a feeling that it was going to happen because the the commentary that we were getting the punditry. I mean, Carragher, I think, was doing the Sky commentary, and he was going like. Oh, that's VAR. They're checking it. That's going to be a pen. That's going to be a pen. That's going to be a pen like that. It was constant. If uh, the VAR guys uh, were watching the, uh, the Sky commentary, they would have gone, "Oh shit!" Carragher's saying it's a pen. <laughs> we better for, better pull that one back. But the actual incident. I mean, 
initially uh target goes up and he's he's on the floor and this is where he, this is the the modern footballer he he goes for the injury doesn't he target and he stays down on the on the ground longer than he should and then when he reacts to the plays he's, he's trying to tackle while he's sitting on the ground when he actually had time to get up if he wasn't trying to uh win favor with the uh, you know feigning injury yeah, it's more second phase, as Smith calls it. You know, the, the, the initial cross comes in, target jumps over, jumps through Lacazette and goes flying. You know, sometimes you'd see that given as a foul. Frankly, I think it's bad defending from target. Ball yeah. comes out. Louise obviously gets his foot to the the ball back into the box. It goes into you know towards Lacazette. Lacazette gets there first. Yeah, I mean, he, he obviously plays for the penalty uh, once he's uh, got touched and it, and so. There's certain angles, I mean, like we watched it back on uh, the Sky uh, highlights and they only show the front-on angle and it looks like a legit penalty. Uh, When I was watching it last night, I saw another angle and you think, well, it it looks more like he's diving uh, and it doesn't look like uh, he got the balls. I mean, if if that was a court of law, I'd need to see more angles. But bottom line is you you can understand uh, it given. It's not as if you're like uh, fuming about it. It's the cliche, you've given the referee a decision to make. Has yeah. Lacazette got his foot to the ball first? Yes, you've come in from behind. It's only going to get given against you. And if that if that's the other way, would you be fuming if Villa didn't get that given? Yes. But also, uh, target, it's almost like uh doesn't help himself with his starting position there. It just stinks of desperation. Yeah, I said it was panic stations because if you look at Lacazette, even if Lacazette does get the ball and no tackles put in on him, he's doing nothing with it. I mean, He's completely on his own. He's facing away from goal. It's not as if he's about he's the foot drawn back to take a shot and it's a last ditch effort. It, yeah. It's not the minute the situation was under control. Target swiping at it when he's already on the ground. Target does not cover himself in glory uh, in this game. But that was the that was the uh, as I said. I thought Arsenal looked like they'd gone down in tempo at that that stage. And you're thinking one nil. This game's still alive. We've got out of jail here big time. But that was the uh, it was almost like a reminder. Like you you. you you actually deserve nothing from this game, the way you've been playing. So there you go, two 0 at halftime. See you later. And then the th- and then the third kind of doesn't come as a huge surprise with the way we've been defending. It's kind of more of the same. Well, completely caught out again. Fullbacks right up, obviously chasing the game. The scenario is slightly different, and it was almost a, a Smith Rowe's goal was almost a carbon copy of what Grealish did against Liverpool in that seven uh, two, where he's free on goal and. Uh, Actually, the finish isn't that great, but it gets a deflection. And it's just one of those momentum things, isn't it? It's exactly, yeah. it, you know, when Grealish just pulls the trigger, it's, it's, it's almost like he could, against Liverpool, it's almost like I could just hit it anywhere it's going to go in. And that was that was pretty much what was happening there. It will find a way into the net yeah. because you've, you've got that momentum. Unfortunately, and it's, it's another you know, shambolic piece of defending where if, actually if McGinn tracks his man, he's almost like passed him up, passed Smithrow over to Mings. Mings has done what he can. You know, he's got a block in. And nine times out of ten, maybe that goes out for a corner. But because of the way Villa are playing, of course, it, it ends up going in off the post. And it's you ain't going to get breaks when you're playing the way Villa are at the moment. You're just not. Yeah, I was, I was talking about McGinn in Match Club and... Uh... Some fundamental passes in this game was he just broke us, you know, broke our momentum down or our attempts to get some kind of momentum with with when we're in a decent position, just careless passes, and you know, one of them led to uh, one of their goals. And I, I was saying about McGinn, he does things that he looks like a, a at times an eight nine out of ten player, but at the same time he does things that just make him a liability at times. And you're thinking, why, you know, he's holding back this midfield, but. It's it's like a Dr. Jacqueline Hyde situation and it's a hard one uh, 
is he doing enough where you uh, say, yeah, he's one of the first names on the uh, the team sheet? I think he is to Smith. Or do you need somebody who's actually got an all, a, a more rounded game because uh, his mistakes cost us, but at the same time he potentially can uh, you know help win games? And you know we've got a midfield that needs some character, and he, he does provide that. So it's kind of a two two sided coin with him at times. You just have to, you know, say that the the upside is worth some of the the downside, and you have to kind of prop that up with other players. And if you've got Douglas Louise playing next to him, who's in good form, Douglas Louise gives you that control of the ball, or maybe a, a Buendia or whoever it's going to be who comes in to play alongside him in a three, or even sort of Ramsey on a good day gives you a little bit of that. Yeah, because it's funny because McGinn can play. I mean, some of his uh, passing, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh it's some of it's cultured, some of it's top draw, but then it comes to simple passes, and he he can really you know fluff it in spectacular yeah. fashion. He must be incredibly frustrating to play with. I mean, if he's if he's that frustrating to watch, I mean, <laughs> Mings Mings had a go at him after that corner, and you can just imagine. I mean, if if somebody that can do the things that McGinn can do so well, and then five yard pass, ten yard pass, he's either hitting it out or he's not put, not putting enough on it. You're just giving it directly yeah, to them. Yeah, yeah, just frustrating. Uh, positives. Good strike from Ramsey at the end. Yeah, uh, and uh, what's the word? Give me an adjective to describe that. Sweet oh, sitting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like sweet, almost sweet casually. The it's a beautiful goal and great, great approach. Great, you know, some really good approach play actually as well. Obviously, Bailey, you know, Bailey came off the bench, made a difference. I think the change of shape made a difference. Well, That's something like big takeaways for the fans. I think that the three-five-two isn't working. All of a sudden, you go to four-three-three, and all of a sudden in the second half albeit the game's lost, but you, you do look a better side. Yeah, I think Ramsey was, uh, Bailey was like, uh, had the ball, he was kind of, you know, dribbling, uh, going at them, blah, 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 and it, and, uh, it just kept going. And then, you know, Ramsey said, look, mate, you know, there's not, the time's running out. We need to we need to get on with this. <laughs> so I'm just going to sweep this one in the top-hand corner and we'll, uh, we'll go again. Yeah, and then just, after that, of course, you've got the Watkins chance, haven't you, that... That that was key. Sorry, were you going to say something, Phil? No, before? I was just going to say that that was going back to what you said about uh, Ramsey against Everton. It's where he doesn't just go forward to put the ball in the net. He's trying to score the perfect goal. Well, I mean, he, he couldn't have placed that one any more perfectly. Yeah, that's yeah just, it's a great strike. That's just that's in his nature. That's where that's where he's aiming for. He did have a left-footed one, which we'll not talk about afterwards, which was <laughs> an, another shocker, but. Yeah. Well, he's off the mark and running now. That's the only. Yeah, that, that that was important in terms of his uh, progress and making him uh, a contender because it's still uh, that midfield three is still up for grabs because uh, you know the Sanson is joining the race as well. Uh, Ramsey needed to get some end product, uh, and you know, goal was always going to give him confidence because this is still undecided. I think that midfield uh, lineup. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the moment, probably Louise is. Uh, a front runner McGinn you got to give him a pass at the moment to be uh, a starter so uh so we'll see I mean, I just Ramsey for somebody who's quite good on the ball he needs to get on it a bit more he it's another game although he came on as a sub you know 12 touches in 23 minutes not uh, and for a team chasing the game it's it wasn't that spectacular but also Ings again frozen out largely in terms of uh touches 21 before he was hooked yeah the whole back three in a front two sort of experiment is is starting to stink a bit of square pegs round holes isn't it 
well, and, it's accommod- and accommodating players. It it works if you can retain the ball, but yeah, we can't. the amount of times we were giving it away, it it doesn't allow you to justify having fullbacks so high up because if you're giving the ball away so cheaply, you're going to get caught out, and that's how yeah. Arsenal pretty much got us. I mean, you know, the, there's there's two problems: defending set pieces and. Uh, just giving the ball away in cheap places when the fullbacks have, have got up the pitch and then suddenly we're exposed on the counter. Yes, and we're again, we're not making the tactical fouls in the halfway line again. I mean, if you look at the foul count again, Arsenal, 17 fouls, Villa 10, and then go do- going down to the yellow cards as well. Uh, Villa managed to get five yellow cards from those 10 fouls. I know, I think one of them, Douglas Louise's, was for dissent, for bouncing the ball back to Martinez when the referee wouldn't let him take a quick. But the other one, I mean, it's not only do Villa not not tackle enough, they, they tackle badly when they do it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, at the start, it was looking a bit like uh, we were going to get a red at some point. Mm. So I suppose that's a positive that we didn't. <laughs> the whole th- the whole game, really, it just, it kind of, I know there was an interview with McGinn before the game, you know, talking about how, you know, you know we, we can't have a, we can't let the Wolves game affect us, but it, it looked like in the first half they did have a hangover from that, that sort of lack of confidence, a certain tentativeness. And then when they weren't tentative, they'd go the opposite way and they'd sort of overcommit and try a bit too hard to sort of force it. And there's almost a lot of it, I wonder if it's just in their head a lot of it. And as we spoke earlier about the fact, you know, we're like a set piece coast and all these like minute details. It feels like Villa are almost just overthinking this a bit too much. Yeah. And, you know, the back four and the keeper worked last year. Why are we trying to like fix things that didn't need fixing there was an example uh we got a free kick later on when we're chasing the game and uh mcginn and louise were like talking eyeing it up and it was from the left hand side and uh as a commentator said uh what why why are they overcomplicating this the cha- you know they're, they're two goals down just get it in a good area and they were talking about it and uh one of them went up to take it and uh you know, stopped, wasn't happy with his run. Arsenal, their back line pushed up and left us offside, so he went back to take it again, and it went straight to the keeper. And you're just thinking, what the fuck are you doing, trying to come up with some bullshit here? Just get it in. Yeah, it needs to go back. I mean, it's not not even put it in the mixer, it's put it in an area, put it in an area where the goalkeeper yeah. can't get it and where your forwards have, or whoever's attacking it hasn't a, ch- a chance to get in the end of it. Just keep it away from the keeper, put it in with a bit of pace. I mean, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. No, but it's 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 getting. It's like uh, you you can almost hear their brains whirling. It's a bit like NFL. It's like oh, what play have we been told to uh, do in this position? It's like it's not coming naturally, and uh, it seems to be uh, stagnating them because that this, it's almost like something's wrong with that team. I don't, you don't recognise it. That defence is all over the fucking shop. It's because I think they've got instructions to do things in a new formation, and then as they set piece ideas and perhaps are overcomplicated because how can you go from like rock solid 15 clean sheets to I mean that that is as poor as you'll see I mean Villa over the years have been we've seen some shocking defending like really shocking it always used to be the main feature of the podcast and this is up there with the worst of it yeah it's it's, well it's up there with you know Watford on the first day of the season and some of the garbage in that first year back in the league you know your Leicester away Watford a couple of Watford aways in fact we've, we'll mention yeah. the Man City 6-1 just you know really bad decision making big players not stepping up to the plate I don't know if it's a system thing I think there's a little bit of that I also think there's just guys just not doing their jobs funny enough we talked about that the Leicester 2-0 under Sherwood I remember on the podcast saying this pre-season feels like we need because we got so many new players in uh, this is the uh, season we got relegated that we needed at least two more weeks of pre pre-season because there's no way any manager could bed this down and you know I said this at the start of the season Smith could have done with an extra two weeks here because 
some of these new boys haven't had chance, you know, in the COVID situation, uh, the outbreak, then uh, some of these new uh, players didn't have a chance to actually bed in. Bailey hasn't started yet. And this is disruption, which does not help a season when you've actually got potentially five players that were key to a match day squad. So it is new. Ashley Young, uh, Tuinzebe included to the, the big three that we bought. And that does not have you striding into the season on firm footing. And we actually still haven't found that firm footing. And I'm hoping there's no other injuries. Uh, you've got an international break and then we've really got to be on it after that. Because it's a big run of games. Three games in November, which are there to pick up points in. I think Southampton, Palace, who else is it? Brighton and there as Brighton. well. Yeah, Brighton. So those uh, you're looking at them now and you're thinking these games could go either way. But you really need to be picking up points because you've got seven games in December and uh, some of those, uh, you know, it's Manchester City, it's Liverpool, Leicester. It's, uh, it could get ugly very quickly if they don't get a decent haul of points uh, in November. Yeah, but we've been here before waiting for the, the easy games in December and it didn't pan out in the first no. season back. Yeah, there isn't any easy games this time. <laughs> I mean, it's, to use a phrase I haven't had to use, frankly, for a while, but it's it's, it's time Villa and Villa need to get their shit together again. You know, you've, I think, as you said, we said it before the start of the season, you know, because of all the transition and the disruption, injuries, COVID, etc., there's been a long list of mitigating circumstances. We still don't know what our best team is, our best shape is. It's probably the first time Smith's had seven days to work with his squad who are either fit or in the country ahead of West Ham. So we might get a you know a look you know, ahead of the West Ham game in terms of, right, well, this is clearly the team in the formation Smith now wants to play. The only concern is if it's not addressed, then, you know, the picture could get worse. And, you know, that is my only concern. Meanwhile, on uh, your social media, it's like... It's meltdown. Oh, fucking, I mean, <laughs> there is, there's two worlds. There's the people that go to games, but also, you know, the more let's say, uh, rational fan who perhaps can't get to games but understands, you know, the, the kind of process of football and understands all those mitigating circumstances and, you know, cuts the, the manager and his coaching team some slack and, while frustrated, understands that perhaps uh, all hasn't been well. And then there's the numpty online who are just waiting to just to get some reaction on, on social media, you know, Loses one game, Smith, and it's like Smith out. Beats Manchester United, no mention of it. Next game, loss, Smith out. When you're at that Wolves game or whatever, nobody's talking about Smith out in the in the stands. No, that's no, just an it's just an implosion in the last ten minutes, which you don't enjoy it. It's frustrating. You get angry, but it happens. But your experience, you you know, we've yeah. been through far fucking worse. If it doesn't alter after all the uh, mitigating circumstances are out of the way. Then you have the conversation, you know, what's going on? Why is it going wrong? Yeah. I think there's the, the, the sort of a bigger underlying issue at the moment is this thing, and it's always been a problem at Villa, it has been the disparity between expectation and reality. You know, we've, people know the mitigating circumstances. They know they've brought in these players, but of course people only see the numbers. So it's like, well, we've spent X, therefore we should be there. And it's like, well, it doesn't work like that. People saying we should be a, we should be a top six side. Well, I'd say, well, why should we be a top six side when you look at last year's, say, the top eight? And I ask people, and I've had this conversation two or three times this week with different people, and I'd say, well, who are we currently better than from last year's top eight? I would say no one. Not really. We've shown we've shown, we've shown signs of it. There's there's little shoots developing. You think, actually, Villa have got bits of being a good team. The United game, little moments, the 20 minutes against Everton, etc. You think, yeah, we've got the makings of a good side, but it's going to be clunky. We're going to be inconsistent. You probably can't judge us till sort of the second half of the season anyway. 
but we have got no divine right to be a top six side just based on our net spend. If you want to take the uh, the basis of we've spent a hundred million, we should be better than last season. You think, well, fair enough, but that hundred million hasn't actually played. <laughs> yeah, ba- Bailey hasn't started. Buendia has been in yeah. and out and injured and uh, away on that silly international and Ings break. Hasn't, actually, his, his output's not been too bad. Ings is running around, but he hasn't got you know any providers really around him, yeah. and there's no cohesion in our, our forward play. We've certainly not built a team to get the best out of him yet. So why I agree, yeah, he should be improving if you've dropped uh, 100 million. If that 100 million is not on the pitch, that's why it's frustrating because you're not actually seeing it in play. And but I understand the frustration because you're thinking, yeah, okay, you know, the first few games we were so under strength. You know, one in that Brentford game, we we're missing half the team when the McGinn and his COVID and Ramsey added to that, and that's when you're getting frustrated because you just want to see the full team play, and then you get to the point where we're now uh, like a quarter of the season in, and we still haven't seen it. Yeah, it's like uh, that's why people are probably pulling the, that. Smith out trigger, which is it's still ridiculous. I mean, Jesus Christ. I remember Everton when Moyes was uh, in his pomp. He used to do alternate seasons, Moyes. He would be challenging top four, finishing fifth or whatever, getting into Europe. The next season, he'd be battling relegation. Next season, he'd be back in the top five. Next season, battling relegation again. I mean, how, how would that work out? With this trigger happy thing, if if they axed him uh, when they were battling relegation, there's no way they would have finished uh, top four, top five the season after. And I think there has to be a difference between goals and expectation. Like, would we like to be top six? Yes. Do we actually expect to be like, what is the bare minimum for this side? I would say the bare minimum is probably top 10 this season. But as long as you crack the top 10, that's progress. Well, I mean, I have expectations for this team, they and the club do as well. They are looking f- for Europe, so it's not like we are not sitting here content with uh, where we are. Thirteenth, being content with oh, let's, as long as we improve on last season, that's not m- where I'm coming from. As long from. as we don't go down, I'm coming from. We should be fucking challenging the European places this 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 season. That said, I'm looking at it frustratedly, going, we haven't had a fair crack of the whip in terms of. Having, first of all, the 100 mil you've spent, that hasn't been in uh, the situation. Has that helped influence this 352 system to create an effective, hopefully, what was going to be an effective uh, system to compensate for the loss of those players? Maybe there's a bit of that, as I've said before. But why get Axel and Ings in if you had no intentions of playing? Uh, a front two. I mean, it seems that he, Ings was brought into play. Obviously, Watkins had a good season last season in the England squad as well, so he's going to play. So that suggests there was grand designs to play a front two or have those two start in whatever formation. And then Axel, why would he come to Villa to sit on the bench behind uh, Konza and Mings with very little expectation of playing unless he's been sold this the scenario that we will be at least for several games this season playing a back three so he will get game time so uh that's something that Smith has got to sort out as you said we don't know our best formation yet or our, you know the best lineup yeah so bear in mind there's guys that actually have been probably slightly overlooked that actually had pretty good numbers last season you look at guys like Al Ghazi who not everyone's you know he's not everyone's cup of tea but in terms of end product which is frankly what we're asking for at the moment goals and assists from your forward players it's, it's stats last season speak for themselves Traore the same 
Yeah, then you've got people on, on uh, social media going, oh, attacking Smith, saying, oh, Buendia, he's a right winger. He's played all his games for Norwich right wing. When? When? <laughs> Have a look at... Uh, Any compilation, there's multiple compilations. Everything he does is through the middle of the park. There's one on Sky, the best of Buendia. He's coming off on the left. He's coming off, but he's mainly going through the middle. His left foot is fantastic. He's both footed. Yeah, and uh, that is a that is a fucking fallacy. Yeah, he's played there, but he's played everywhere else. And uh, I have no problem as Buendia as attacking midfield. That's his position, uh, you know, centrally, wherever. I have more problem with him as a winger, frankly, because he's not quick enough. Yeah. When you've got Bailey, you've got El Ghazi, who's not slow, Trezeguet, who's not slow, you know, Traore, who can beat a man. It's like, why would you have four specialist wide players and play a central midfielder? That's just square pegs round holes. But to bin Buendia would be ridiculous because uh, he, he is very much the future. And he was your first guy through the door in the summer. It was clearly one of your prime targets. Yeah. You wouldn't go and drop that amount of money on a player, especially a player from the championship, if you didn't think we're bringing him in here to, not going to say build a team around him, but he's clearly, they see him as being a relatively integral, you know, cog in the machine. Yeah, and, uh, you know, was that price ridiculous? Yes, any player, 30 Clearly. million, to me, is ridiculous. It's it's a massive gamble because from the point of view that it, it lifts the expectations by a mile. If you get Buendia for 5 million, it's like you can cut him some slack. Even like, you know, 10, 15, you think, fair enough. Yeah. Carlos Hill, inflation, Buendia. I didn't think inflation was just that bad yet. I just, I just think, I mean, and I'll finish on this, I just think the, the, the combination be it system personnel whatever it's just not working at the moment and they've, they've got to um they've got to get it to work yeah and you know we've seen there was you know we've mentioned before in even in the early games there was nice little passages of play link-ups and whatever and we haven't seen any of that it's like the ball is now a hot potato and it's been we've been so sloppy and careless right across the board from defending to uh keeping the ball and, you know, McGinn being uh, an example in terms of just sloppy passing. Anyway, uh, we'll end on a uh, when we get beat, and it's getting more frequent uh, this season. <laughs> we line the players up, the first 11, and uh feel like we need machine gun this time. But uh, <laughs> it's just spray and pray, isn't it? <laughs> What's the punishment this week? Who, who has to do the, the tweet to the, the, the supporters after the game? Yeah, and only one player's allowed to. Yeah, the we go the uh, we go again tweet. Yeah, everybody knows the uh, the token gesture tweets, which uh, you know the club normally their PR department or marketing department says to the players, "Oh, can you put out a tweet that says this or that?" We go again. You know, unlucky thanks Tell to the, the away fans. How amazing they were. So obviously they're going to cop some crap uh, if they put out that tweet. So which player, they're only putting out one tweet this week, which player has to uh, bear the brunt of it? Who's tweeting? It's a, it's a tough one. I mean, there's no point in getting Twan Zeva to do it again because we picked on him last week. But uh, I think I'm going to have to go with McGinn because just the drop from the heights of his performance against Wolves to the depths of that one against Arsenal, it's, it's too big a drop. He needs to find a, a middle ground. Yeah, there's so many candidates here. I mean, I, I could think of being you know, Konza in limbo, Target. I, I might go Target because Target's too far up. The way he didn't track uh, back to get ahead of Saka or just impinge Saka for that Saka chance. I mean, that started halfway in the line, so I'm going Target. Target's getting a lot of... Uh, he, he did influence that game again, like he did the last two by uh, getting the deflected winners for the opposition. <laughs> this time it was the giving away that penalty, which was the key moment that game was lost. 
So I'm going target again. He keeps he's costing us games. So this is uh, a concern now. Never mind uh, bloody Smith out or any other nonsense. It's target costing us games with uh, poor defending, which was not something you could say about him last season because his defending and it improved massively. I mean, to the extent that I was saying he was the most improved player of across the season. And actually, he, just, he very he very quietly went about his business last season. Now you actually you're kind of noticing him every game now, but not for the, yeah. the right reasons. It's just it's just it's desperation. So who who are you going for, Chris? I'm actually going to go with in a performance like that when it's so bad of the team. I'm just going to say, well, the captain has to front up. The captain has to take that one on the chin. So you go Mings. I'm going Mings. Those are the three candidates. Mings. Mings always tweets, though. <laughs> I think we're going to have to get the gun out. So who's getting shot? <laughs> I think Target, last time he uh, tweeted, was uh, against Manchester United. So he only tweets when he's winning. Ah, that old chestnut. But uh, I don't think the punishment fits the crime, I think. Let's, uh, let's have the punishment. Who's going to the glue factory? It's about time the glue factory came back in. So uh, who's the candidates? It's Target, Mings, or McGinn. Uh... I mean, I'll, my case is on target. That is the third game that he's dealt us the killer right, blow. There you go, done yeah. hat trick. That's the killer blow. I mean, come on, you've you've talked us round because <laughs> it's, it's putting him out of his misery. It's not really anything else because he just looks desperate out there. He's desperate to impress, desperate to do everything, and that's what's affecting his game so badly. Would you bring in Ashley Young next game? We got no choice because target's yeah, down the glue factory. No, would you not just do the Everton thing, play Bailey again down the left, yeah. Shuff, shuffle everyone along one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know quite how I feel about starting Bailey as a wing back there. Yeah, well, scare West Ham. Young in a back four with Bailey in front of him. I have no problem with that. I think we've got to get on the front foot now, so uh, we shall see. Right, uh, let's move on. Oh, one last uh, stat of the game. Just on the running theme, um, Aston Villa have fewer points after nine games than they did in their first season back in the Premier League. And we all know how that ended. We had to wait until the final day. So hopefully it's not as bad as that. Well, well, I think we'll uh, find out in November for sure. Right, I just want to say... Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Yeah, a big thank you, as usual, to the My Old Man Said patrons. Thank you very much. Uh, also to Andy Chance, who uh, signed up uh, this week. Please do go to myoldmansaid.com 
and click on the Patreon link to get more details to join us in Match Club, which uh, yet again was a therapy session uh, for the Arsenal game, and also uh, get access to extra podcasts, which uh, we will uh, get out before the West Ham game, the Mayo Mansour one, so we can actually talk about something that's not uh, Villa. But uh, yeah, go to that link and check it out. Also, uh, do follow the uh, podcast on whatever app you listen to, podcast app you listen to, because sometimes... uh, when I finally edit the show, I put it out in the middle of the night. So, uh, and I, I haven't got, I don't do social media at that time. I just want to go to bed. So sometimes it's the best way to uh, wake up and have a notification that there is a new show available for your uh, morning. So, uh, whatever app you listen to, uh, just uh, follow on that. Also, follow us. Uh, You'll see in the uh, show notes links to the Mad Few group and Facebook, which is dedicated to the show. And also you can follow us on Twitter at my old man said. If you want to send me a few Ethereum coins, <laughs> 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 the wallet address is my old man said dot ETH. <laughs> right, let's get out of here. Any final words? Very quick words. Just, just calm the fuck down. Who? Me? Everyone. I'm Calm down. The defence. <laughs> Everyone. Just, yeah, team on the field, off the field. Just calm down. Phil? Just button down the hatches. Just just right, right out the rough bit. It's, it's going to be a clunky winter, but it might be a great spring. By the way, the word clunky is now banned. You said it about four times in the last show. Three Brilliant. in this. You need a thesaurus for Christmas. A what? A thesaurus. <laughs> a what? What's one of them? <laughs> Encyclopedia. All right. Until uh, the three points at home to West Ham, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.